Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. At Leia Healthcare, we always want to give our members more. So now you get unrestricted access to a world of benefits that will help you stay healthy. From convenient video calls with a GP to get prescriptions online, to easy access to experts when you finally want to do something about your ropey knee or dodgy back. And if you do need to see someone urgently, our clinics are available for minor injuries, all without you needing to put your hand in your pocket. Let's stay on top of your health, in every way. Lea Healthcare, looking after you always. Insurance provided by Ellipse Insurance Limited Trading as Leia Healthcare. Leia Healthcare Limited Trading as Leia Healthcare and Leia Life is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Unrestricted benefits are available until the end of December. Fair usage policy applies. Yes, what an absolute hero we've got today. Top player, won the lot. A trophy that I've wanted to win all my life. The Intertotal Cup. It's Damien Duff. How are you doing, mate? How's it going, Simon? You all right? Keep him yes, well? Yes, very good. Thanks very much for coming on. Uh, no bother. It gets me out of the house anyway. I've been stuck in it for three, four months, so I do happen to get out even speak to you, so it's no problem. <laughs> and what is that? Is that the West Wing you're in? No, it's uh, my mate's pub. The Wi-Fi. I live up in the hills of Ireland and Wi-Fi ain't great, so I just thought I'd make an effort for you, so I'll come down to the boozer. What a man, what a man. See, just on the Intertotal Cup, I've always wondered, like, how do you celebrate winning the Intertotal Cup? Does Roy Hodgson share out a bag of Wales Originals? I didn't realise I won it. That shows how big it is. <laughs> did I win it? You won it, mate. Oh, did I? Uh, I'm not sure if I even got a medal for that. Uh, yeah, maybe with Newcastle as well. I don't know. Um, I didn't realise I played in it. I think that was maybe obviously the Fulham year, was it? Where it took us about 40 or 50 games to actually get to the Europa League final, so... I'm not even sure if the Intertotal is still running. Right, listen mate, I've done my research on you, right? And yeah. a, few, a few of the staff at Celtic who remain nameless have said, for your Intertotal Cup win, your English Premier League win, they cannot believe how many games of tech ball you lost. That's obviously one of the staff. Uh, and for the players as well, to be fair, I was number one seed at the club, which is a bit, a bit embarrassing for the players. <laughs> uh, so if you know Ryan Christie, you should speak to him. Mikey That's who I spoke to. Ryan Christie. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he was called Whoopi Cushion Head because he, he made a crazy noise when he went to head the ball. It looked as if it was going to be a really hard header, but it didn't have any power. But, yeah, I was number one seed, embarrassing enough for the players. And uh, John Kennedy and Woodsy would always play me and the gaffer, and me and the gaffer would always kick their arses as well. So, uh, I was number one seed in doubles and singles. 
Yeah, I was going to say, well, like Lenny must have found take ball hard because you kind of pass sideways and backwards. So how did he cope? Uh, Gaffer was very, very good. Um, even, you know, I'd get the giggles and start losing the run of myself and what have you, but he'd always give me the death stare just for, to get, get me to refocus. But uh, we'd spend a couple of hours in there most afternoons by the end of the season. So uh, absolutely amazing fun. It's probably disappointing for Celtic fans. You think we're up watching videos and <laughs> talking tactics, but we're actually on the tech ball table. So, uh, yeah. Mate, I've had that, I had that death stare for about five years when I was a kid. Every day for like two hours a day, you just death stare me, man. Hated us. Yeah, well, he hasn't lost that that power, but he was, uh, well, I'm not surprised. You sound surprised, but he's actually very, very good at tech ball. He's a good player. Uh, in between spitting his snooze out on the floor. <laughs> As I say, mate, I've dug deep for you. I've even, I even know what kind of slaps you were underneath your tuning gear. Hugo Boss. Yes, I love that. <laughs> what a guy, man. Well, it sounds a bit snobbish, but yeah, I'm not into the ones, the communal ones where you're probably wearing maybe the ones that Gaffer wore yesterday. So I'll give that a miss. I'd rather have my own ones. <laughs> Brilliant, mate. Right, on to the career. What was a football bringing like in Ireland? Was it boys club? Uh, I mean, Irish boys get so many trials. Like, where else did you go other than Blackburn? Uh, just Huddersfield. Uh, nowhere else. Big. Um, I actually loved Huddersfield. I nearly signed for them, I guess. I think they were in the old second division. And a bit random how I ended up there. But uh, I remember probably the sticking point or where I decided to change my mind was when I met Neil Warnock. He was manager at the time. And if... You know, tough Yorkshire man. I don't know. I think he's from there. It kind of wasn't for me. But listen, Blackburn was the most exciting place in England. They were just recently crowned champions. Kenya Glees was there. So in the end, it was, listen, was a no brainer. But yeah, in Ireland, obviously, a lot of Irish boys go over every year. So out of 100, I'd say maybe one makes it every couple of years. So I was very, very lucky. I know that. Um, but yeah, just a boys' club back home. Nothing, nothing special. No special upbringing. Uh, I guess I learned all my tools and my trade on the street because nowadays you have kids training four or five days a week, but I trained once a week in a shitty pitch and, you know, the floodlights would probably be from the cars. So, you know, people think you need to train at fancy complexes and stuff like that, but I just honed my trade on the street. I was out there every day for three, four hours. So it was very, very simple upbringing. 300%. I wanted to ask you this because I came to watch Celtic play Hearts when Den Belly came on. And I seen you speaking to him after the game and saying to him you should have took his man on more. I watch young kids now, mate, and wingers are more interested in keeping possession and going and taking people on. See, when you were younger, was that the mindset? Getting my fullback every time I had the ball? Yeah, you're just fearless, I guess. And like Caddy, he'd be one of them. He's learned his trade on the street. Like you can see that the way he manipulates a ball and just how comfortable he is with football at his feet. Uh, it's the other side of the game with Caddy probably getting him to run back and, and work hard and uh, that's probably the toughest bit with him but um, yeah, I remember the game I think it was footage it was a bit embarrassing it probably looked like I was doing it for the cameras but it was only when I turned around I think oh, fuck the camera you know recording that conversation but I would have been hard on Caddy and all the young boys yeah it's great having the ability but you always need to work harder for me See, uh, was it the Milk Cup you got picked up and is it true that the Milk Cup is named after Lenny's skin tone <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah it's well, was, we were in Dubai recently. I think Gaffer was wearing factor a million, probably. Um, the milk cup, I'm not sure why, why it was called that. No, I actually went to milk up with Blackburn. Right. Um, but no, listen, 
in Dublin, like there's a lot of Irish kids that have had great careers over in the UK and Scotland and what have you. Um, so I was just spotted here because the scouts here literally all the time uh, watching games. So I was just spotted here and I went over a couple of times and like I said, just going over and meeting Kenny, meeting Shearer and they're going for the league title. Like it was an incredible place. How was Changed Kenny, now, I must say. Uh, how was Kenny the least? Did he ever like come over to Ireland to meet your family or uh, did he come over? He'd be over because he, he always had that Irish connection anyway. But I remember him picking him picking us up myself, my mum, my dad, just before the training ground got built. And he brings us down in his big fancy Merc and gets the plans out and everything. And you think, what the hell is this? This for real here? So he, he made it a real, real effort with me, like he did with all the young kids. You know, he'd even come in and, and join in. And I'm not sure what age he was then 40, 50. He mightn't be happy with me for calling 50, but. Um, just frightening and frightening just charm, charisma just when he walked into a room would just blow you away like and what he did with Blackburn yeah he, he obviously had Jack Walker's money at the time but to win a league was just incredible what he did with that club well, Somebody told me that you've got the same amount of money as Jack Walker now is that true? Uh, I wouldn't be far off to be fair <laughs> uh, I'm not a big spender um, I can't say I can't say working at Celtic topped it up so it was probably I earned it all before Celtic Uh so, uh, listen, I've done all right, but I never, uh, you know, looked at a move or anything to earn money or what have you. By Just by chance, I absolutely adored football. And just by chance, if you're any good at football, you seem to earn, earn a bit of money. So, uh, you know, I wasn't motivated by that. I just absolutely adored the football, that's all. Now, I know you, a few young boys who go to Blackburn to tell you about the setup. So the digs are on the training ground. Does that, does that stop you still getting a social life? Because the coaches can watch what you're doing. Well, the coaches didn't even live on the training ground, Simon. So it was an old mental home. So we lived up in the hills at Blackburn. And uh, like you'd leave the training ground. This may sound bizarre to some or uh, a bit of a sad life. But we'd leave the training ground once a week uh, to go to college on a Wednesday, I think. And you'd go to college for a couple of days or hours and then back to, obviously back to the training ground. You'd... The only other time you'd leave it if there was an away game. So uh, that was once every fortnight. Uh, but listen, I wouldn't change it for the world. I was probably too much of an anorak of football. But even when train was over, you do doubles and you do all your jobs, cleaning up the whole place and, and what have you. Like I go back out in the pitch. So but I think it's changed now. They, they want the lads to get away from football, whereas it couldn't have been better for me for a while anyway. I was well suited to a mental home. I think after a year, I did have a bit of a meltdown and I wanted to get out there. But... Um, yeah, it was two kind of haunted houses on top of a hill just overlooking the pitches, but it was incredible. Uh, just getting into the first team, well, I mean, what an intimidating direction it would go in, as you said, Sutton, Colin Hendry, Tim Sherwood, Lasso. How was that for a wee quiet guy for Ireland? Did they abuse you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you were abused the whole way through. Uh, like when I think back, the stuff that was done to us, like you'd get the sacker go to jail now. Um, <laughs> Like the first week I was there, uh, the young Irish boy I went over with, it was his birthday, so it was, I don't know, August, September. And he was thrown in the back of a car with his underpants on, blindfolded, a pair of runners. And I was made to get, get in the car with him just to, I guess, look at it. And uh, he was dropped about three, four k's away, just up in the hill, blindfolded off and make your own way home. And stuff like that, if you didn't do your jobs right or anything, you'd be stripped naked polished head to toe, made run around the train ground. I'm sure you've seen it back in the day, but yeah. and I wouldn't change it. It's it's character building, I'd call it, but you know, 
fucking if you did it now, you'd you'd go to jail. Some of the stuff that happened to us. Um, but yeah, like when I got into the the first team squads, yeah, they were horrible to me, but in a nice way. They knew what they were doing. You know, I was still doing my jobs then. So like the likes of Sutty muller me all the time. I actually was on first team dressing room duty. So like he'd leave instead of going to shit in the toilet, he'd just leave shit in a bag in the middle of the floor. Like so. I'd be picking up his shit in plastic bags. Uh, I cleaned Tim Sherwood's boots. So, yeah, I'm lining out with him on a Saturday. But, you know, during the week, I was scrubbing his boots all week. And every morning, I was just hearing his Cockney accent. Daffa, you can't. Because I didn't do a, a good job, I guess. One night, I left him in the sauna, which didn't go down too well with him. So, uh, yeah, it was, like I said, character building. But some of the stuff I said you wouldn't get away with now. Amazing. Uh, the two wingers, I think, was uh, was it Wilcox and Ripley? Like they sound like a couple of serial killers, but did they <laughs> did they take you under their wing? Uh, Stuart, somewhat. Um, well, maybe not Jason as much. I guess I was a bit of a threat then to him. I was seventeen, eighteen, and I was looking to take his place. But uh, listen, they were fucking amazing, and they'd just come off the back of the league title two years beforehand. So. Um, I just kept the head down and just keep working hard. Um, but like I said, they were probably hard on me, more horrible than nice to me. Even Billy McKinley, you probably know him well up there in Scotland. He's ruthless, like, mate. Ruthless. Yeah, he was a horrible, horrible lad. Ended up coaching me at Fulham. Hadn't really changed much. But like I said, they I wouldn't change it for the world. It was just an amazing time. Was it? Was it? Would you ever give them a bit back, or was there ever a time that you thought like this is too much? No, like you were well, I guess, drilled not to not to answer people back. Like even when you were first year, so down in the UK, I'm sure it was up the same in Scotland. There was first year and second year apprentices. So if a first year even answered a second year back, like you, you were going to courts. And what I mean is, I'm not sure whether you did court cases, like there's 20, 30 people in the room in Europe for, you know, whether you're guilty or innocent, you're more often than not found guilty just for answering someone back, even politely. And like I said, you could could find yourself in a bath getting an ice bath with cups of piss thrown on you and that and like that so did I answer people back absolutely not I went under the radar for two three years so how see what you're that quiet guy what is it when it comes to football that changes when you got on the pitch see when you went and changed with the first team did you just take it straight away yeah it's just where I guess I felt most comfortable and um, like I'd that's all I did. Did you know you, like, you, know you were a top player? Uh, maybe in the, the back of my mind, but I was never had that front of that arrogance or, or ego. Uh, but maybe I knew I was, I guess, going to make it. Like I remember going to, to leave for England six, when I was 16 and it was five o'clock in the morning. And I guess leaving home, I'm emigrating. My mom said to me, we're all obviously crying at the door. And she's saying, you know, son, you can come back anytime you want. And, you know, I wasn't full of myself or anything. I just said, nah, don't worry, I won't be back. So I must have known somewhere deep down uh, that, yeah, it was going to work out. I don't know how, but it did. And that was under Roy Hodgson, mate, 96, 97. Uh, how was Roy Hodgson as a manager, obviously, so successful in what career he's had? Yeah, he was amazing. Like, I, I loved the way he gave me my first proper season run in the team. And even he brought me back to Fulham, or to Fulham, in later years. And... People always said I be, I was a son, a son of. 
Um, Probably but grandson, I guess, mate. Probably more grandson, don't it? Yeah, something like that. Uh, but yeah, listen, amazing coach, actually, absolute gent, and like to see him in the Premier League now, still getting Palace bopping and keeping them up every year, year in, year out. Uh, listen, I, I love Roy, absolutely adore him. He seems quite doable, Roy. Can you get a laugh on? Oh, he's uh, he's hilarious in his own way, um, and. Might think he's this, you know, respectful gentleman. I've had some bollockings in my time, but if you see Roy go mad, it's uh, it's a scary one. Now, what's the worst you've seen him go? Uh, well, I obviously only had the year with him at Fulham, which is more recent than back in Blackburn. But like, fucking anything and everything, every name under the sun. You wouldn't think he has a curse in his locker. Well, he does kicking things. Mentally, absolute mentally. But amazing coach, amazing man. Uh, Jack Walker era, relegation under Brian Kidd, 99. What was, uh, what was the dramatic fall down there? I don't know. Uh, Kiddo, listen, amazing guy, absolutely frightening coach, brilliant, but probably admit himself he wasn't a manager. Uh, I remember that year we probably spent an awful lot of money, probably too much. There was a, a lot of quality, maybe not so much quality, but... A lot of money was spent that year and we were just on the slippery slope and he couldn't turn it around. Nobody could. So, um, yeah, it was it was obviously disappointing to go down. One of my three have a hat-trick, hat-trick of relegations. Um, I'm not sure whether you've done your homework in that. But, yeah, for a kid, I was I was, I was, was heartbroken. Out of the three, that was the one that, that hit me bad, I'd say. How was he a top man, Brian, kid? Oh, legends. And, like I said, frightening coach, but... Like I said, I don't think he got another managerial job after after that. Um, but the session's brilliant, amazing, and what have you. Great man, but um, probably wasn't cut out for management. Mate, what but a I, job he's got now, though. Eighth choice coach at Man City, amazing. He's probably on three million a year for it, though, so I'd do it. I'm sure you would as well. Of course I would. Uh, see, that, because you got relegated, did that benefit you, perhaps? Because, obviously, down the division, you played a lot more games, became a key member of the team. Uh, I don't think I was playing every week anyway. Um, so I don't think. Listen, the championship. I don't. You've played in it, I think, haven't you? It's a tough old league, and it's not a lot of football played. So if you ask me now, I still would have rather spent the two years in the Premier League. Um, probably the only thing affected. I'm not sure. It was a long time ago. I'm sure I probably got a pay cut for the two years. But uh, like I said, I'm not arsed about money. Now, like, did it benefit my career? I don't think so. I would have rather been in the Premier League and I think I probably would have improved more playing up there against better players and not getting kicked the fuck every week. <laughs> Can you remember one in particular that would boot you? It was Kevin Muscat playing then? Ah, oh, disgusting, man. Uh, Kevin Muscat, Danny Mills. Um, oh. Yeah. Like the good fullbacks that you played against were often Irish. There's something with right backs in Ireland. We've just... Um, a lot have come out here, Dennis Irwin through the years, Seamus Coleman, Gary Kelly, Stephen Carson. They were always tough and you were in a game and quality in the ball and you chased them up and down. Whereas Danny Mills, Kevin Muscat and I think it was a Tariko off Spurs. Yeah. You know, you're talking leg breaking stuff here. Um, I think Muscat was Muscat Rangers as well, was he? Uh, he was Rangers, Australian yeah. Rangers. Yeah, say no more. <laughs> right, mate, talking to that guy who kicks people, Graham Sooness comes in in 2000. What's your first thoughts when you hear Graham Sooness getting the job? Uh, I thought I probably would have been out the door. There was always, you know, stories of 
at Liverpool. He got rid of all the paddies, uh, the Irish or the Catholics. So either way, I was fucked because uh, I was both. Um, but he was great with me. I remember the first couple of weeks. He was like, I don't see what the story is. He, he got rid of the certain players at Liverpool because they were getting old and didn't fit into his plans. It was nothing to do with being Irish or Catholic. And uh, at Blackburn, he was like I said, he wanted me to play. I think he, he said he married a Catholic. I'm not sure whether that was the second yeah, or third wife. Yeah. I don't know how many wives he's had, but either number two or number three was a Catholic. And uh, listen, he was great with me. He just came in and simplified everything after, after Brian, you know, Training was maybe a bit of shape, a five-a-side, but obviously high intensity and standards. And listen, Gaffer, I always call him the X-Man, just Gaffer. Like, he had such charisma. Like, it was a joke. Uh, I loved him. Loved him. And he, I said he did great for me and got Blackburn back up in the league. Would he get a joke? Would he get a laugh at you with the Celtic and Rangers thing? I, listen, he'd give, he'd, he'd give a bit of banter. Um, but... Yeah, it was probably nearer, I guess, when we did play in the in the Europa League or was it the old UEFA Cup? Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I listen, Gaffer, Gaffer was a bit of crack, and yeah. I really liked him. Uh, Barry Ferguson told us a story about him smashing Dwight York in training because he never liked him. Did you see any examples of? That? Uh, yeah. Well, I thought it was Coley smashed, so it might have been Coley another day. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was Coley when I was there, so I obviously didn't play with Barry. Um. So, yeah, listen, Graham, the gaffer, would like people just to empty the tank, I guess, every day, just work hard like he did at Liverpool as a player. And, uh, you know, Coley and Yorkie are, as you can imagine, they're at the latter end of the years and maybe come in the odd day and they were a bit off or maybe hung over Yorkie, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, that would rub him up the wrong way. So I think he upended Coley one day as well, maybe, or just give him verbals. But he used to join in. Uh, the gap and absolutely frightening again I'm not sure what age he was 40, 50 he's had a triple bypass but he always used to fill in at right back in the little 7, 8 sides and the, the quality and his picture and idea of the game was absolutely frightening similar to Kenny it's the exact same you could just see why they were why they were world class but if he was playing right back to and you were left wing would you be 1v1 against Gideon Sunnis eh? yeah but he obviously picked the teams and I was a young book at the time so he was always clever I never seemed to play against him I was always with him <laughs> See, just on York, how much a character is York? Is he is he funny? Uh, yeah, just so relaxed, and you know, he's a funny guy, and uh, it's like the night out, and a few women, I guess, here and there. So, um, don't we all, young man? Uh, don't we all? Hey, don't we all like that, young man? Yes, yeah. Um, but listen, even just for me as a winger, and uh, getting to play with the two of them and their movement up front, and. Again, Dean Saunders, again, at the same time coming in and speaking to me about what kind of service they want, they tell me. So, was, I guess, from a football point of view, it was amazing learning as well. I might have to do a bit of the running at times, but listen, I, I don't mind doing that when I'm kind of learning the attacking side and, and what they want from me. Brilliant. Uh, promoted in 2001 and you won the League Cup, first year back the Spurs. Uh, was the club ambition when they got in the Premier League to go and challenge again? No, I don't think that was going to happen. I said... The money they spent pre-winning the Premier League, you know, share, I think it was 3.3 or something like that. But back then, that was massive. I think it was a British transfer record. But we weren't going to break transfer records again. So it was just, I guess, to get into the Premier League and hold our own, which we did for a couple of years. I think we'd come six, seven, eight, maybe. Um, and then cup competitions were a bonus. So Blackburn were never then. And 
from looking at them now are never going to challenge again, which is a sad thing. Yeah. Uh, is, this, is that true? Mark Hughes played that season. I think Sparky did two seasons maybe with us. Is he amazing? Uh, yeah, like, he wouldn't really get to know Sparky. He just keeps himself to himself. Maybe you hear him say three things a week and they would always be three witty, dry lines that were rather funny. Otherwise, he wouldn't speak. Uh, horrific trainer. Uh, out of probably hundreds or thousands I've trained with, he'd be in my top three for being shit in training. But then would come alive, I guess, on a on a on a Saturday. He's still even at thirty nine forty. Had the overhead kick. Mark Hughes. When I was a kid, I remember him always being unbelievable at, at uh, overhead kicks. And I remember he did it one day when he was thirty nine, which blew me away. Otherwise, he wasn't very mobile. But listen, he could read the game. I think that Spurs Cup finally played centre midfield. I could be wrong, but I'm nearly sure he did. So, Mark Hughes played centre midfield? Yeah, go check it. Wow. Mate, he's got the best ball in the world, hasn't he? Oh, ridiculous. Um, and listen, it just shows his picture of the game that he was able to play in the cup final against Spurs and, and play and play centre mid, you know? Yeah, that's, some, that's some unreal players that you've played at Blackburn. Like who, if you had to pick one that stands out as the best at your time at Blackburn, who would it be? Uh, listen, they were coming to the tail end of their career, so I can't say it was a pleasure training with Yorkie, Coley and Sparky some days, you know, looking didn't move. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, I remember two guy, Turkish player, oh, but again, there's always a but, like that's with the ball, uh, without the ball, that was a man down. Uh, probably, and you'd, I don't think fans would never seen a lot of them because of an accident he had, it was Matt Janssen, he was on the Fergie getting into the England squad for 2002. Unfortunately, he didn't make it uh, and went away to Rome on his honeymoon, got knocked off a moped. I think he was in a coma for a couple of days. But amazing guy, amazing player, like the best feat possibly I've ever seen. Uh, but his career obviously tumbled after what happened in that summer. But for a Billy wise, he wouldn't have been far off. Yeah, his left foot was caviar, wasn't it? Yeah, it was sexy, all right. And just, he just had this chop, a bit like the Van Persie chop, where you think he's going to shoot and just chops back inside. It was silky. It was nice. Amazing. Right, the draw gets made for you if I cut, mate. What, what are you thinking when Celtic come out? Because uh, I think it was Celtic or Liverpool was in the, the round before. And I remember Gaffer was always saying, we'll get one of these two. We'll get one. He used to call me Dame. Dame. Uh, everyone calls me Duffer, but he used to call me Dame. Uh, so he was listening obviously fucking buzzing he wanted either one of them and uh, I was just excited to go play at Celtic Park from from my point of view and young, most young Irish boys dream uh, the Catholic ones probably is uh, they all want to play at Celtic Park whether it be once in their career or as a player you know so I was buzzing for it Did you grow up a Celtic fan? Everyone like I said you have Probably two teams. You have a Premier League team yeah. and uh, Celtic. Like Celtic's a bit like Ireland here. It's just you just support them. You've no choice. So Celtic, Ireland, and I was Man U. That was my other team. Would you ever get? So, a yeah. Would you ever get across to Celtic Park as a kid? No, I'd never been. So like any trips with schoolboy teams, and no, I'll always be Old Trafford and feel like that. But I remember having all the jerseys, and I don't even know whether he was any good or not. But I just loved his name. I used to love Jackie Jackanowski. Uh, you might tell me he was shit. I don't know. Thank but you. Didn't, he was shit. Well, I thought he was a legend. I just thought his name was cool, man. Uh, but I didn't see him play because it didn't show Scottish football really on, on Irish TV. So 
uh, oh, that's disappointing that he was crap. Oh well. Uh, see, Sunes, like you said, you could get fired up, but was he especially fired up the week leading up to that game? No, I think he had to kind of push his buttons to get him fired up. Uh, I know he may have said a couple of things in the media and what have you, but now Gaffer would only get, you know, lose the plot if we let him down in some way. Um, so now I think he was just generally excited and and fancied us to, to go and beat the eventual finalists of the tournament, I guess, which, listen, it wasn't meant to be for us to do it, but no, I think he was just excited. And what was your experience like at Celtic Park? Atmosphere, game, what do you remember? I think we lost 1-0, maybe Larson scored. Uh, I'd been out for, I remember, four or six weeks before uh, with hamstring, so I just made the game. Uh, so it was a bonus, I guess, to play. I remember, again, Celtic fans might tell me different. I think we batted them uh, on the night. I remember playing really well myself. I thought felt brilliant. I think he's Celtic. I think you played uh, three at the back, didn't you? And Didier Agate or something was right wing back who had pace, but I remember ripping them to shreds a couple of times. Uh, but we lost 1-0, but still fancied our chances back at Evil Park, which oof, that, didn't, uh, that didn't work out. But Celtic Park... Um, yeah, I think we were the better team. Well, uh, see, when you heard Sunez say it was like Mendy boys, with the players in the dressing room thinking you shouldn't have said that? Uh, we probably wouldn't bother yeah. much with that stuff, but I'd say it probably rubbed Neil Lennon and the gaffer up back then, and like they were proper men in that dressing room, the Celtic team. Like when you look back at them, uh, it's only in hindsight now, they were proper senior pros, weren't they? Whereas we probably had a still a few babies in the team. And... I think they came down to Ewood Park and half it was full with Celtic fans. Uh, I think they scored after, Larson scored after five minutes, which is 2-0, and then we need three, and you just think, fuck this, this is game over, isn't it? <laughs> and I had a beast that night, I remember just being so shit. I was so disappointed, yeah, but anyway. Did you ever have a chance to sign for Celtic in your career? Uh, I offered my services, um, but a chance now, uh, when I left Newcastle, so I was 29-30, and I needed just a spark again in my career, a beast at Newcastle for three years, uh, for whatever reasons. Uh, so I needed to go, and I remember kind of contacting Celtic then, not contacting me, and I think but I ended up... Write them a letter? Uh, back then it was probably a fax or a letter, yeah, it was, there was no message, texts or iPhones or anything. Um, no, the agent contacted, so it was probably Peter, I don't know, I'll have to ring him. <laughs> and see if he uh, turned me down. But I, my fee to go to Fulham was two and a half million. So needless to say, you would have got a bargain. Uh, <laughs> I played in the Premier League for another five years. Like, so, um, I that's, think a this, it, that's a travesty for saying nah, nah, not for you. But nah, listen, for me, I, I would have loved him to go up and fucking just a special place, isn't it? Who was the manager? Was it Martin Neal? Would it been Martin Neal then? So that would have been, what, 2000 and... 10, so who was 10? Fuck, it's always Gaffer the tournament. Gaffer had knocked me down. <laughs> knocked me back, bastard. Anyway, Peter, it was either Peter or Gaffer, so it wasn't what meant to be. be. What could have been? Right, World Cup, we'll touch on it. The famous 2002 World Cup. Uh, how much did you love meeting up Ireland back then? It seemed like a, a great squad of boys. Yeah, that's probably been a constant through the whole time I've been involved with, with Ireland. They... Just a good group of lads, good, honest boys, like represent the country, very proud. And yeah, I'm not sure it happens now, but like 
the first night of a meet-up, whether it be three days or a week or 10 days, was all always like a stag do. So I think that's why probably half the squad came in the first place. <laughs> but uh, yeah, back then there was, well, listen, even now there's, there's good players in the squad, but through the years we've had some, some proper players, yeah. Mate, can you confirm this for me exactly? Do you remember David Conley, the striker at Portsmouth? Yeah. He, he says to me that Richard Dunn is the best drinker of all time. Is that true? Uh, yeah, he's... he's yeah. Um, I've had a few nights out with Dunny. Uh, he might say this, he doesn't drink these, but, you know, I've heard or been at the bar and I'm nearly sure that he, instead of having a pint of beer or what have you, that he's had the odd pint of vodka with a dash of orange. Um, but listen, he does tumble in the end, you know, the big man, he can put an awful lot away, he's hollow legs, big hollow legs, but yeah. in the end, I have seen him have a fall or two, but yeah, incredible, incredible drinker and, um, I think he missed probably a few sessions the next day along the way, but always delivered on a on a match day. But yeah, could put it away, alright. That's what he said. Dave Conley said about the top players like they can do that. They can drink for two days and then go and play on a Tuesday and still be tremendous. Yeah, uh, I couldn't do. I couldn't. I need to go to a. I get bad heebie-jeebies, a bit of paranoia, everything. So, you know, a night out for me, I got. I could easily go missing for a week just to. <laughs> get the press the reset button but yeah the them senior boys when we were first in the squad like Quinn Staunton uh, the likes of them like frightening they'd go I remember they used to nightclubs would finish at 3 o'clock in the morning uh, obviously in Ireland Glasgow I'm sure the same everywhere but there was some mad law or something I think back in the day that you could get served on something that was moving so i.e. a train so the lads would leave the nightclub, go get a train from whatever, Dublin to Cork. They could obviously get served because it was moving. Uh, they drink all the way to Cork, obviously get the train back, be back in Dublin for, what, eight or nine, and then just go training. Like, so, That's amazing, man. Yeah, it's just alcoholism stuff. Like, you can't be that desperate for a drink, but especially to go to Cork. But, uh, I'm not sure how true it is. That could be an old, old wives' tale, but I'm really sure there was a law that you could get served if if something was moving, i.e. a plane or a train, and they used to get a train. That's amazing, man. Did Mac McCarthy know mind that now? He was the manager at the time. Uh, well, Mick would be in bed. Like, he didn't. And like I said, the lads could just go and train normal the next day. Like, absolutely frightening. Um, so they didn't, they really, really noticed. Um, Mate, they got away with Right, talking to death stairs, you talk about Lenny, but like, a few of the boys must have got the death stair for Roy Keane for that. Um... <laughs> I didn't, yeah, like, it, listen, I think Keane bullied a few along the way. I think we all know that. But us young lads, likes of me, Robbie, Richie coming in, and I guess a bit of freshness, freshness, a bit of cheekiness, I don't know. But he was always good as gold with me. So I never experienced the deaths there. But uh, listen, the one thing I would say about Roy, again, you, you wouldn't hear him speak much, but his banter's frightening. Like, it's cutting, but I love cutting, you know, dry banter. And he cut people in half, but it's... Absolutely hilarious, but I never had the debts there, I'll have to say, luckily enough. What was that? You mentioned Robbie Keane there. How, how good was he? Uh, Robbie was frightening. Like I touched on at the start of this uh, call that, you know, about coaching four or five days a week, you know, Robbie learned his trade on, on, the, uh, on the street. I remember going playing Blackburn U team against Wolves U team. I was 16, he was 15, and I thought it was good at the time, but 
I remember playing against him. I hadn't heard of Robbie, and he obviously played up front. I think he bagged a hat or something. But I was just thinking, this is another level here from even what I'm at here. So I thought, you need to up your A game. But just his movement, everything, this is at 15. So he wasn't coached, and he just taught himself uh, just from the street. And listen, Robbie wasn't the lightning. He wasn't the quickest, the strongest, the biggest, whatever. But his movement was just absolutely frightening. And his finishing, obviously, as well. And that's why he's our greatest goal scorer, which will absolutely never be beaten or anybody come near. I think Killian, Killian Sheridan might beat it. Uh, yeah, he, he plays for another two million years, maybe. But otherwise, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> right, mate. On to the situation with Mick McCarthy and Roy Keane. Where were you when it all kicked off? Uh, I was in, it was, I think it was before a meal, like, but, you know, everything's fascinated with it in Ireland. Like, Roy had every right to to go crazy at the facilities over there. Like, obviously, went on the pitch the first day. We're 10 days out from a World Cup and we didn't have footballs. So, uh, that's probably not a good start. Uh, the, uh, the pitch didn't really have any grass on it. Uh, it was like a, a, a car park. And uh, we didn't have kits, so we were just running around in, in our polos and, and stuff like that. I think the balls arrived, mind you, the next day. Um, but yeah, like a car park, I think. This and any, it's Saipan, obviously, that's what it's known as. And I remember Mick asked for the pitch to be watered, but there was no grass on it. So it was just like watering a mud bath. So we went the next day, and listen, Saipan was caught in a time warp from the 1940s, from World War II. So nothing had changed. And it was this old man on, with a fire engine. And the fire engine was from the World War. And he's literally just stood in the middle of the pitch, just with a hose, just stood. And he must have been stood there for, I don't know, like a couple of hours. But didn't, like he'd never watered a pitch in his life. Uh, so he just watered more or less the centre circle and a bit around it. Saw us pull up, roll up his hose and just drove off. And like, it was something from a comedy sketch. Uh, I think we end up maybe playing 5-0 in the middle of the mud bath. And lads, listen, the Irish... They, we know how to laugh and have fun even in times of that. So the lads were just sliding around like a, I don't know what, like using them as water slides. So it was like absolutely bizarre. But obviously, it's maybe right. The stands are used to a man you. I guess we saw the funny side, but just Roy flipped and decided he'd had enough. Like, so. Uh... Wait, see, see within the squad, like, see if it was me and that was happening. Was everyone staring at Roy to see what his reaction was? Uh, yeah, that was always a couple. Listen, Roy's standards were absolutely sky high as they should be, and like later on in the years, where I guess you're not a young book anymore, like I probably would have been the same as in angry wise. Uh, I wouldn't have walked because I was just desperate to play in a World Cup. But like, it was a fucking shambles. Like uh, to go to a World Cup training camp and you're training literally on concrete with no kit and no balls. I think he'd have you right to to lose his rag, you know. <laughs> When did he crack him? Was it on the tuning pitch or was it when he's got back to the hotel? Uh, I think he was constantly cracking, really. Um, just simmering. Then just exploded. But I said, everything was, like, I think the whole country back here was, you know, blown up and divided over that. But, like, footballers are selfish creatures. And, yeah, it was, I guess, upsetting for the squad. Me as a player, I wanted to play in a World Cup and go far into it with Roy. Whether he would have helped us, I'm sure he would have. But, I just wanted to play in the World Cup. So if he was going home, okay. If he was staying, okay. I just was really focused on, A, wanting to play, getting the starting team, and B, playing well. Was he brilliant though, Duffer? Team training and that, was he good? Yeah, like, just, again, standards. The top boys always have sky-high standards, but just the, the king of 
just absolute simplicity. Always would play the right ball, the right weight, the right side, the right angle, just as clean, the cleanest, crisper, crisper, uh, crispest passes I've ever seen. And just always the right decision. And that's why I guess he drove Man United along for, for so many years. But listen, Roy would tell you yourself, does he do Christ or step overs or what? No, but absolutely the best I've ever seen at just driving the game and just, you know, making the right decision all the time. Yeah. You never know at that Ireland team. Got so many big results, like the Germany result. Did you did you believe that you could beat anyone? And we're just happy go lucky, like just uh, let's go and have a crack off these. So I think it was that was the mid the second game, wasn't it? Uh and they I guess got to the final and we were probably the stronger team. Uh, in that and we could have beat them I remember Khan making a good save for me Robbie obviously scoring in the last minute so yeah we never really sat down and had a chat a serious chat I guess it's just the Irish the Celts I don't know what the Scots are like you know we'd go back and probably Dunny was having a few points I was asleep so it, was, it wasn't as if we were you know having serious chats about how far we're going into this competition here it was just right it's a game let's go have a crack off these <laughs> Let's have a crack off these. That brilliant man. Uh, you scored the third goal for Saudi Arabia, led to the iconic image, uh, your celebration. Any of the type of memories that are hard to match? Still think back of them. Uh, it's nice to listen to the goal. It was lovely movement, a little blindside run, and hard to defend. A clean strike, but no power. I remember being fucked. It was near the 90th minute, and the goalkeeper just dropped it in. So from a goal point of view, it was shit. Really, movement was good. Uh, celebration. I just remember before the game. I remember Robbie had a cartwheel, and I was thinking, "Well, that's pretty cool. Like, if you score, it'd be nice to do something." I was brushing my teeth, and I thought, "Everyone just bow." Like in Japan and Korea, everyone just bows at you. I just thought, "If I score, I'll just bow." And it kind of ended up with an iconic image in in Irish sport. But uh, yeah, it's very special moments, aren't they? World Cup. Not many Irish people have scored or played in the World Cup, so it was nice. Yeah. We spoke to Joe Ledley and we spoke to uh, Kyle Lafferty who played at big tournaments with Wales in Northern Ireland. And they said that most of the time, again, it was like a stag do. Would it be someone in their times would you again get a drink in that? Yeah, like, oh my God, the World Cup. I hate myself now for doing it because I was a top pro, but like Germany, I'd like to think it was a top pro, but yeah, I did get lamped a few times in that World Cup. I remember Germany, obviously, the last minute equalised from Robbie. We drank till four in the morning. Would I do it now? No. Uh, that was the other one, Spain, um, before the Spain game. So that's a knockout tie. Three days before, I went out and got absolutely... And like I said at the start, I'm not good with hangovers. So like Spain was a good game for me. I played well, but if I didn't go get lamped, probably would have played an awful lot better. Um Remember, we snuck out. I think Mick brought us down to the bar. So, Spain were playing their last group game because you can have a beer and watch the game. So, I think 12 was because we called ourselves the Dirty Dozen in the end. We watched the game. We got right up to bed. So, needless to say, 12 was uh, snuck out to an Irish bar. Uh, stayed there till 2, 3 in the morning. Uh, I think everyone went back home. Uh, footballers at money would usually go to probably a strip club or a nightclub. Uh, me, me and Stephen uh, Reid decided to go to a a stand-up comedy club where you could put your name down and do a sketch on stage. And I'm so like glad that back then there was no real camera phones or or anything then. So I remember putting my name that I was lamp like. So I went up and did my sketch on stage, like people in the audience. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, then Reedy goes up after me and he does his sketch. Like, thank God there's no footage of this stuff because like just 
so embarrassed. So embarrassed. Actually, before, uh, sorry, regarding camera phones, you might tell me if you check, but I remember when we arrived there in 2002 and we're all getting on the bus and everybody was pointing their phones at us and this was going on for two, three days and we were like, because we'd never seen a camera phone before. And we're like, what are these fucking idiots doing? Like, they're all pointing their phones at us and we found out after a couple of days, you know, there was a camera on the phone. And needless to say, none of us will end up on Dragon's Den or, or anything like that because we're all at the back of the bus going, fucking idiots. Like, why would you have a camera? on your phone like that will never work out man it'll never work out they're fucking stupid it's probably the biggest selling thing probably the best invention of all time camera phone so uh but we didn't think it would work out the irish lads the camera phone i know you said there that you wish you you wouldn't have done that but it was probably that team spirit you all being together and doing this sort of stuff which made you so successful in the pitch now yeah that, listen that's a constant with irish teams throughout the years probably of any sport but yeah, that camaraderie and togetherness and like we're a proud nation, a bit like the Welsh and and the Scottish, I guess. And listen, if something good happens in my life or fucking Irish people's lives or the Irish team or bad happens, you just have to drink, don't you? So you're yeah, good, you're celebrating bad, you're drowning your sorrows. So yeah, we did seem to, I guess, drink a lot. But. Quite right, mate. Uh, right, many say your performance with Spain last 16 uh, showcased your world-class ability. Uh, how do you look back on the game and the outcome? You had the full-back game, the Canadian band dance, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I was, I guess, just a young boy, just playing without fear on a football pitch, just to simplify it, just give me the ball and I'll dribble that. And I remember just doing that for the whole 120 minutes, but like everyone says, great and well done. And we should have beaten them. I think they were down to 10 men. We missed the penalty. We batted them. I think they went on to get Korea in the next rounds. So, you know, there could have been a little pathway to maybe do something there. So... Yeah, well done, great, what have you. But listen, we sh- should have beaten them. They weren't the Spain that they are now. You know, people here Spain, but they, they absolutely weren't. So, um, yeah, it was, it was disappointing, I guess, in a way as well. Were you definitely? Were you never the type to get nervous, even in a massive game like that? Uh, yeah, I would. Like I, I liked that kind of butterflies, nerves type thing. I think the minute you don't have that, it's time to jacket. Like so, um, I liked have, having that tension, and it made me a better player so no I always had that yeah. absolutely and I always want to ask this to top players right so you've been flying in the World Cup obviously you're flying at Blackburn do you know after that tournament I'm getting a massive move here uh, yeah you guess you're more on people's radar and I think that's maybe that summer where big clubs started to speak to me and so I think I met them even uh, when I got eventually back home so yeah it's, it's the world stage in it and Listen, I knew I'd had, I guess, a good tournament. So that's where, I guess, teams really started to stand up and take notice. So. Do you the senior sketch at that comedy club for the middle? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, possibly. I've, yeah, well, I've, that's even before the Spain game. Like, I'm just thinking after the Spain game, we couldn't even fly home. So I think there was a 48-hour bender for obviously two days and I remember walking home through the middle of Seoul back to my hotel and seeing the distance like a few bodies just laying the concrete and this is just us in a nutshell I guess the Irish team and I walk up and I'm obviously stumbling home to the hotel and there's three people going to sleep on the pavement with no shoes on uh, I get closer and it's Gary Kelly, Richie Dunn and Ian Hart and they're just they couldn't be arsed going home so they just decided to just I'll just sleep here and they took their shoes off it they told me later that they chucked them in the bush just to get comfortable and they just decided to have a sleep on the, the path in the middle of the cell. 
So I just kept walking home, obviously. I'm not sure how well they slept. Oh, mate, heroes, man. They three are heroes. I love them. <laughs> what, guys? Uh, right, mate, on the big teams, it was Man U and Liverpool you were linked to. Did any of them nearly happen? Yeah, I might both of them. I think maybe both summers uh, after the World Cup and then the summer after. Uh, nearly happened with both, but I'm not sure what we get out of Blackburn was with 15, 16 million or something at the time. Uh, obviously went for 17 points something, but I just, I think it was maybe too much of them. But, you know, Chelsea was never on my radar. Ideally, it would have been Man U, Liverpool, great club, Irish connection, that would have been as well. But Chelsea just kind of came in left field. But yeah, nearly happened with the two, but I think it was just money. Did you speak to Fergie? Uh, yeah, I met, uh, I was going to say the gaffer, but he wasn't me gaffer, was he? Um, yeah, I met him and spoke to him and, listen, as you'd imagine, absolutely legend and amazing meeting him. And yeah, the minute you spend time with him and hear him talk about football, you want to play for him. But like I said, I think it just cost too much. And listen, they got better wingers than me in the end. So um, everything worked out for, for, for all parties involved. Stop, sorry to be so nosy, but uh, where, where do you meet Alex Berenson? Do you go up to his house? No, I met him in the, the, the kit man's house, so it was uh, Albert. Uh, oh, he gave the glasses? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think Fergie did all his business in Albert's house. Albert picked me up at the airport, brought me there, and I didn't say a word. Like, I was still a baby, 21 or something, 22. Didn't say a word for two, three hours. I think I was just stared at and was probably dribbling as well. Uh, <laughs> Mom made me wear a shirt and tie, just as Irish mothers do, put on your shirt no, and tie. Okay. Yeah, suit and boot. It looked like a dick, probably. Um, so that's probably why he didn't sign me, because I was just dribbling, looking at him. That's amazing, man. Uh, so when did you hear at Chelsea? Was it Abramovich? Did he just take over? I think he just took over all, overnight and just to start decided to start spending the money. Like, so, so, like I said, left field was never really on. I never thought I'd end up down the smoke. And did you speak to him, Abramovich? No, listen... Roman always kind of plays dumb that he, he can't speak any language, but he's got, I'd say, five or six in the, in the, ba- in the bank. He understands every word of English. So, no, I didn't speak to him on the phone. Yeah, I s- around the club and I eventually did sign. You'd have the odd conversation with him, what have you. But, no, he just, he just paid the bills. <laughs> uh, is it true you were dying a hangover when you found out about Chelsea's interest? Yeah, well, most footballers in their four or six weeks over the summer, they'd... They'd always be doing the hangovers, I guess. So, yeah, initially, um, yeah, when I got the message, I was dying of a hangover. Um, and me with my heebie-jeebies, I don't think I returned the golf for two or three days. Just need to sharpen up, you know. So, uh, yeah, it was true. It was true. And it was Ranieri? Ranieri, yeah. So, again, I'd, I was in no rush to go earn a lot of money or to move to London. I was... I guess one of the best or the best player at Blackburn I knew I was always going to play and uh, I think I hummed and honed over for a couple of weeks I flew down to London I think two three times I met Claudio once and uh, like so charismatic as, as you'd imagine um, and I remember him just saying you'll play 99% of the games um, and that always stuck out with me because I was just thinking about the 1% so I wanted to play the 1% as well so yeah great playing 99 but I wanted 100 so like I said, I wasn't in a rush to leave, but in, in the end, I just thought, listen, you have to go and further yourself and you see the names down there, Terry Lampard, like you said, Crespo, and we're signing all sorts. I just thought, you can't turn this down, you know? 
But and was the aim straight away to win the Premier League tougher? Was it what? Was the aim to win the Premier League straight away? Yeah, like Claudio wouldn't have maybe put as much pressure on you. He was always about, you know, building and foundations and we're going to build. But like at Chelsea, you don't get that time. You have to win straight away. That was probably the marked difference between him and Jose. Jose came in and went, boom, you know, we're winning the league here. Whereas Claudio, he's, you know, I want to build and this and that. And you're looking at him going, you ain't going to get that time, mate. You better hurry up. So... Yeah, uh, as you said, massive names, mate. Makalele, Crespo, Veron, Joe Cole arriving at the same time you. Uh, see the big players still get the same laugh as you can with Blackburn players, or is it completely different? Is it much more professional? Uh, no, they still still good banter. Uh, even Desai, like I remember I was watching something on him the other day, like incredible player obviously he was coming to the tail end but just funny guy and so happy go lucky and um yeah like amazing laugh like amazing bunch we ended up that was probably one of the other teams i played in my career where it kind of ended up a bit similar to the irish team as in camaraderie and mates and fun and you know even when we we're winning the playing you know 60 70 games a season we were out every weekend together and always out in the town and pissed and you know, that, I think that's half the battle as well, and it? it? builds a good bond between everyone. So they're no, a good guys. They big players would go every week? Yeah, all the time. Who, who the was time. good on a night? Who was good? Who was good uh, it was, Listen, it was the, the, the English lads. I never want to be part of them, but it was the group. They always called themselves the Bulldogs. So, <laughs> like, it would have been Bridgie, uh, Lamps, JT, a couple of the English physios and what have you. Ida was involved in it. But because of the Irish thing and all, I was like, well, I want to be part of your group, but you're not calling me a bulldog. Um, so, yeah, that was, our, I guess, our group of lads. And, yeah, we'd be out all the, all the time. A few of the farm boys would flip in and flip out. The, the farmers would go out and not drink, I guess, and feel good the next day. Whereas, as you'd imagine, British and Irish lads and Icelandic either just go out and get absolutely lamped. And, but this was, was every week. like So it was just a norm. Amazing. What was that? I, mean, I'm, I love Makaleli. How, how good was he? He was frightening. Uh, like he was so good. I guess he got a role on a pitch call after him, yeah. the Makaleli role. Uh, yeah, like everyone talks about, you know, Robin, Lampard, Terry, Czech. But what Makaleli did, he just connected everyone in the group on, on the pitch and uh, with the ball, brilliant, so underrated. And obviously without the ball as well, it's probably similar to what you'd get with, I guess, Kante nowadays when he plays in the six. Yeah. So. Uh, you finished second that year, reached the semi-final of the Champions League. Could you believe when Ranieri was sacked? Or was that just a sign of the standards that Ab- Abramovich was after? Yeah, there was always rumours and like I never heard for concrete, but he just knew he was gone. I think he even knew, you know, the last game of the season at the bridge. I remember he was emotional and waving everyone off. And you just think that's his, that's his last game here. He's done. Um, and then I think Jose was named a week later, wasn't he? After the yeah. they won the Champions League, like so, you always knew they were going to bring someone big in. See, but Ranieri obviously says quite quite a lot of things. That you think, what the fuck's he talking about? Like that dilly dilly, and all that. Would there be times where he would speak and the boys would like nudge, nudge each other? In there? Uh, yeah, what was it dilly dilly dong dilly d or something? He used to always say that in the in the. I don't know what it means. Like, um, yeah. <laughs> 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. English was kind of half Italian, half, I don't know what, there was slang, everything. But you got the gist. It was a bit like Trapattoni when I had him as an Irish manager. He was, but you get the gist of where they're going with it. Um, but like, lovely, lovely man. And listen, what he did with Leicester, could make a movie about that. See, when you heard Mourinho come and describe himself as a special one, was there any thoughts like, this guy's going to be a dick? Uh, not really. You were just kind of excited of, the anticipation, I guess, of meeting them. I remember the, the first meeting, I was late, me and Ida. I'm not sure whether we drove together or what. We all had to meet the bridge at nine o'clock. And like, that's King's Road, Fulham Roads. It's a hard place to get to. And me being a bit thick with London traffic, I was 10, 15 minutes late and I was sweating. Uh, but he was good as gold. And uh, he just knew straight away, he just the detail he brought to, to train and to opposition, to planning game plans, just fucking nothing that was... I'd ever seen in my life. I think that's where coaches are at now. But back then, and that was what, 03. I don't think coaches went into that much detail. And they obviously raised the standards and just the belief. Like he has that front, he calls himself the special one. And he just got you believing that you were a better player as well. So like everyone's careers and they all became better players. And that's why they won the league. It was all down to him, just that change, change of mindset. She just on that when you're talking about being late. Was there no time... It's again, speaking to Ryan Christie, was another time that you had to run? Uh, yeah. Uh, what was it? It was fucking one of the best teams I've ever played. It was, again, 10 years later, again in London. So I still haven't got used to London traffic. And we were playing Shakhtar Donetsk in, I'm not sure it was the second round of the court, finally, the UEFA Cup. And like, I was going to be 20 minutes late for the meeting, like at half six for an eight o'clock kickoff. I was like, you're clown like I was like what I was absolutely rattled so I just literally pulled in on the A4 uh, just a little slip road dumped my car and I was like two and a half three K from the ground and I had like I don't know 12-15 minutes to get there and uh, I had to sprint so anyone that knows Shakhtar Donetsk it was like playing Barcelona 
So like I had William, Eduardo, okay. Fernandinho, they were bopping. So like I, I didn't even need to do a warm up in the game. Was that? And I was fatigued before the game because, like I said, I to sprint three k, <laughs> come into the meeting sweating, panting. Uh, but that was just me, I guess. Any other most players would probably go. Listen, I'm late. I've had a crash, whatever. But whereas I was like, I'm not missing this here. So yeah, I sprinted to a UEFA Cup uh, quarter final against Shakhtar Donetsk. How did you play? Um, I didn't really jump in. We slot a lot with the ball, without the ball. I was a bit leggy, I won't lie to you. So, uh, But mind you, we didn't have the ball a lot that night. So that's the one thing about Roy, keep you organised. So it kind of suited me that we were playing them because I didn't really have to do that and proactive. I was just kind of shuffling all night. Well, I was a bit <laughs> stiff before the game. Another bit of research I've done, you love people doing extra, but did Jose no pull you one day for doing extra? Uh, yeah. Um, it's just a line I always just always have a bit of crack with the lads with. Uh, I was a devil for them extra throughout my career. I wish I didn't work as hard. Um, that sounds strange, but like it's probably why I work, walk with a limp now. But yeah, we were. I was out for a month. Uh, I was just about to go in for a knee up. We were playing Man United a month later, and he goes, uh, "Take your time, whatever, no problem. But be fit for Man United," uh, which was amazing to hear. Just before you get an anaesthetic, go under. So. Uh, got myself back, I think, record 18 days from knee cartilage operation. And for the next 12 days, I was just battering it, battering it. Pitch runs, everything. And uh, two or three days before the game, he comes up to me just like... such So cool. Charisma, yeah, just cool as hell. Like, like I'm a straight guy, but like you near on fancy him. Like, he's just a, <laughs> just so cool and good looking. And he just came up to me, goes, Duffer. And I'm like, what? And he goes, too much water kills the flower. And I was like... Oh, okay, and we just obviously walked off the pitch, and uh, yeah, so that's I guess my line. I'm not sure where you heard that one with, but I always uh, reference Jose's line: "Too much water kills the flower." That's amazing, man. See on that, what you said about you wish you'd practice less. Why is that? Just because your injuries and stuff like that? Uh, not practice. Like on a Friday, I'd still be doing extras, like and you've a game the next day, so there's nothing to be gained then. But I was just, I never got any good at that, even then. Melbourne at, when I was 35 playing over there like obviously Saturday to a Saturday game and Tuesday Wednesday I'd be the best player on the pitch but by Friday Saturday it's fucking shit like so when I came to match day it was brutal because I just worked too hard so I never learned to work smarter during the week like I just always did too much always and this is what I change it now to who I am but it definitely affected me a lot of times on a Saturday I won't lie Why did you do it? Did you feel that you needed to get better? It's just me I just Mrs. always says now, like I just work too hard, even on laptops or this and that. I don't know. I just, and I enjoy being on a football pitch, I guess, kicking balls. But I wasn't clever at it. I wasn't clever. Yeah. Uh, see, just on Mourinho, obviously, in that era, mate, it looked like the players absolutely loved him. Uh, was it just that that presence that you had? How would he make get you feeling like a million dollars? Would it just be a wee word in your ear? Would it be a, a meeting that you would have with you? Uh, anything he knew how to push people's buttons so like he'd give me the love and what have you when I need it but I've had you know tongue lashings off and screaming in my face from two meters so he's really good at that psychology side he knows what everybody needs um, and like I said just the swagger of him you're just looking at him with just big emoji heart eyes going oh you're cool man um, he's just and then like I said the detail that he brought to the, the team but the lads absolutely Adored him. I'm not sure 
now when you look at his teams and him, for whatever reason, football's changed, he's changed, society's changed. But back then, my God, the lads would have done anything for him. And well, he, used to, he used to look like a million dollars, like he was glowing. Now he just looks a bit miserable, doesn't he? He needs to get that back, man. Yeah, that's how old age does. Come back to me and you in 20 years, see how we look. Uh, see, when you said about the two metres away, can you remember the, the instance why he done it? It was Man City, I remember half time. Um, we were crap, like I think we were losing 1 0 in El Capeno. We lost 1 0, but he did the whole squad, to be fair. He went around the whole 11 or 18 or whatever, and he had a little word for, for everyone just off the cuff. And I'm not sure what he said to me, but yeah, he nailed everyone. Like, I think, oh, fuck. Um, frightening, frightening, brilliant coach. Did anyone ever say anything back to him? No, nah, no. Nah. He was always right. He was always right. I won't lie to you. The lads, there was ever, there was never any needs. Um, like what he saw in the game, his detail, and why he said it, when he said it. I never saw a lad coming back at him. Would he be the best you've worked for, Duffer? Uh, ah, yeah, you'd have to say. Yeah. You'd have to say, yeah. Like obviously the name and what he's won in the game, but what he did with that team. Just listen, there were some world class players in it, but he just turned them into serial you know, winners overnight. And then uh, Robin arrived that summer. How were you being at a top club, seeing big names coming in? Did it worry you? Did it push you on? Did Jose make you feel fine about Robin coming in? Uh, well, it was Ranieri, I think, that signed him. Uh, so it was all plans. Um, it wasn't Jose that bought him. But yeah, I remember being a bit rattled, like me being naive at the time. I remember saying in the press something along them lines, you know, fucking about my future at Chelsea because Robin was signing. But like my first year at Chelsea, I think I dislocated my shoulder twice or the knee up. Throughout my career, I guess I'd loads of ups. Uh, but um, so I probably didn't have the greatest year, and uh, I was probably a bit rattled just that he's coming in. I've had a big money move; he's going to take me place. But it kind of worked out well, I guess that. We both rotated left, right wing. He could play inside, so uh, there was nothing to worry about, I guess. See, when you were rattled, would you ever be the type to go and say to a manager, like, why is, why is he coming? Where does that leave me? Or would you just no, I never in my whole 20 years in England never knocked on a manager's door. Uh, a, they'd just fill you with shit, or as you say up in Scotland, they fill you with pish. Is that what you say? Uh, and B, I just, I guess... There's a reason. So if it was possible to work harder, then I'd just go work harder. So I never knocked him on anyone's door. I just thought, listen, I'm going to get back in the team. And I just knuckle down even more if that was possible. And I'll, I'll get back in. And then, mate, next season, what a trio. You, Robin, and Drogba. Is that as deadly as a, as a trio that you played with? It was good. Um, but like, even, I think Robbie was injured for a few months. Like, if Joe Cole coming in to take his place and, Sometimes I'd good Jans, an amazing footballer who play off the side as well, or take Drogba's place and you'd still play with two wingers. So yeah, they were literally devastating. I think Drogba started off slowly. Uh, I think he was still really raw at the time. Whereas Robin, like it was bizarre looking at him because he had a funny type of run and you know, he always kind of held one arm in and he'd run like that, but he was just lightning without Kaiser Yeah, something like that. And not even, didn't have a trick. He was probably similar to me. It was just a dip of the shoulder, just the old school winger down to go one way. But he was just so powerful at it. And that's why he's had the career he's had. Uh, and I actually see he's coming back out of retirement this week as well. So I have to get the boots back on looking at him. But frightening he was. He was ridiculous. 
See, in some, see, in some clubs, like people playing the same position, they end up being a bit of a rivalry there. Was it someone at your Northern or were you pallet? No, we were good mates. Uh, probably different. Like, like I said, I thought I was a, a top pro. I was uh, the way I worked and prepared and all, but I still drank. I'd have the night out and what have you. Whereas Robbie didn't even drink. Like he was a proper on the straight and narrow. Um, Looks like he's been drinking for about fifty years. <laughs> <laughs> no, he never touched it. He never touched it. Wow. Whereas uh, you know me and the bulldogs, I guess you could call them. We'd be uh, <laughs> we'd be out in pieces. But uh, no, I never had that rivalry. I never. I didn't need that anywhere I went. If someone was going for my position or me for theirs, why? It just creates friction. So it just used to drive myself. So, uh, no, none of that. Uh, Drogba, mate, uh, gained a reputation for diving. Would he ever, would he ever wind him up in training or that? Not really. Like, Didier was a big, a big character, great fun. Yeah, he would make a mountain out of a molehill, I guess, the size of me, go down like a sack of spuds, wasn't he? wouldn't he? But, like I said, I... As I just said there, he was raw when he came. Like even for me, his touch. Like my brother was young at the time, and he thought we'd always have a gig. And you know about his Didier's touch. Like I thought it was rough around the edges at best when he first came. But like obviously at the end of his Chelsea career, he was you know a Premier League absolute great and yeah. world class. But at the diving, I know what you mean. He was uh... with Terry Booman that if you dive into it. Uh, JT, to be fair, would. He'd kick his granny, JT. So um, I don't remember any particular incident, but listen, he wouldn't hold back. He'd uh, he trained the way he played. And again, that's why he had the career. But uh, listen, Didier was a, a strong, strong man. I know you. Uh, he did dive a lot. You can call it diving. But um, he was a strong boy. Absolutely bullied centre-halves. Bullied them. What a player as well. Eh? Uh, talking through the man this mate. 4-2 win over Barca. You scored to put Chelsea three up after 20 minutes. But Ronaldinho is on one. Uh, is that the best game you played in? I'd be up there just for quality. Um, was Jose suspended now? He was there for that game. Um, I remember actually starting a riot. I didn't mean to on the between the two benches. I actually scored that night, and I think my man Da was there, and our seats were right in the halfway line, and I scored, and I've kind of looped back around and ran up to the, you know, right in front of the benches, but it's obviously the halfway line, and just celebrate and going mental as you do. But I think. Uh, the Barca bench thought I was winding them up so I remember I, I kind of started a little mini riot but I didn't mean to um, but yeah it was I guess it was the Ronaldinho show I know we went through but you know that toe bog again that's street stuff isn't it you don't when do you ever go into football pitch and coach a kid how to toe bog a ball like you don't if someone did it you probably tell them off but uh, the whole ground I remember that was the eerie thing just went silent they were just like did that really just happen uh, that's how good that goal was you see that game, Jose told the media you were going to be playing in the first leg. Would he be telling you something different? Was it all just mind games? Yeah, it was the second game. Uh, sorry, it was the year. The first leg, so the, uh, the away one. Yeah. Um, so we, I think we lost 2-1. and We played Newcastle on the Sunday. I got a bag bang on my knee. I think we were playing on the Tuesday or the Wednesday, obviously. So we went straight to Barcelona. He pulled me. He goes, listen, I'm going to tell the media that you're uh, not playing. He goes, but you are playing. You're playing on the left, so just get ready for that. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And he went and did the presser, obviously, and said I wasn't playing. And just the fact then that he said it in the media, I was like, maybe I'm not playing. So <laughs> just, you believe that, and he says. So I ended up believing then I wasn't playing, but as early, even though he told me I was. So I didn't think I was playing then until 
he obviously named the team I was. So it was a bit kind of strange for me. I was like, hmm, I don't know why he's even lying to me here. He's kind of fucked with my mind a bit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we obviously did, did them over the, the two ties and that's where the Chelsea, I think, rivalry started. But he wanted them in the draw before the draw was made. He was like, I want Barcelona. And we were all like, why do you want Barcelona? Like, they're ridiculous. And he goes, because we stopped them playing. I remember the line was in the airport flying back from somewhere and he goes, we stopped them playing and they don't stop us. And that was his simple way of saying we'll beat them. I was thinking, okay. What, he gathered you saw they got in the airport to tell you that? He's just sitting down as he does, just cool. And we're all having chatting around with him, just having a bit of banter. And he, gaffer, gaffer, who do you want? And he goes, uh, Barcelona. And they were like, why do you want Barca? That was him. He just goes, because we'll stop them playing and they won't stop us. And we thought he was mad, but I guess it gets you believing even more that he wants them and then he gets us to beat them. Yeah, he's, he sounds like the best guy ever, man. See, the, see the mind games, was it constant? Like, would you do that with all the players or was it just certain types you would do it? It was just constant in, in general, I guess. Like, the media, like, he played the media, he had the meeting about with his hands. Uh, like, nothing really was ever said about the players. Um, it was just him or a mad story or something he'd come out with. So, absolutely took the pressure off the, prior, the players. I think he has a degree in psychology or something like that. He's a... He's a genius at working people. Genius. Uh, just one in the Premier League, Duffer. Uh, is it as good as, as you thought it would be? Uh, it was nice, yeah. It was nice. Um, I obviously, I think we won at Bolton and we trained the day before in uh, Blackburn and because it was obviously down the roads. We trained at the training ground so it was my old haunt and I remember pulling my calf. I was devastated. It was fucking absolutely gutted. Like, so I remember just going, breaking down the pitch like, Balling, I'm like 25. Yes. Well, I, well, I was 25, 26, and just balling like a baby. So yeah, I missed the Bolton game because we were staying up to play Liverpool a couple of days later in the Champions League, the famous handball game. So I just knew that I'd missed that as well. Um, so yeah, listen, it was fucking absolutely amazing winning the league. It's what listen, you dream of being a footballer, but then to get to win the odd medal or two was nice. See, just on that Liverpool game, obviously Chelsea kind of got robbed a bit. Like, see, in a dressing room after the game, does Jose go off his nut? No, again, he's top class at reading the situation. The lads have been amazing for him all year. The lads have played well on ish on the night, but I must say, like if I was to choose one atmosphere, obviously Celtic Park aside, uh, from my career when I was a player, um, like that night, that specific night, Liverpool, Chelsea, I've never seen that and like it. And I know they've built the bigger stand now. There's an extra 20 in it. I'd love to go experience it one day, but... Uh, no, he didn't go off his nut. It was, you know, bigs, hugs, kisses, and we'll get stronger now and win it again next year. It was very simple what he said. Uh, you mentioned them, Terry and Lampard, both homegrown boys. How good? Best you played with two? Yeah, just proper, like obviously quality aside, just proper, proper pros, just absolutely worth their socks off every day, led by example, never missed a game. I think Lamps had held the record of Prem, 180 on the bounce or something, or nearly broke it, I don't know. But Terry as a defender, absolutely amazing, but so underrated with his feet. Like, it was only when I went to the club, I was thinking, wow, left foot, right foot. I don't even know what foot he was. I think he was right, but world-class off either foot. And then, obviously, Lamps, you know, Lamps would tell you himself, you know, it wasn't really natural happening with him, but he just worked every day on fitness, uh, and finishing, you know, you look at his finishing, you think, oh, why is that natural? Absolutely not. He just chipped away every day, five, ten minutes, and always hitting corners, absolutely no problem. And then, obviously, his runs, the timing. Listen, I think he can coach that to 
some extent. But I think with Lamps, he's a really clever guy. And just his time in the runs, I think, was just, that was natural with him, without doubt. See how you said you'd do extra? Would it always be you and Lampard that you would do it? Would you like cross balls in for him to finish? Uh, yeah, not as simple as that. But yeah, like I'd always just hang out in the training. I, I never felt right if I was walking in, there was lads doing extra. So I'd like to be, you know, one of the last to leave. But like I said, it's no, it's no myth why Lamps becomes, I think he was voted the best Chelsea player of all time and is finishing this and that. It's because he fucking practiced every day. It was simple as that. See, when you win the league, Dover, uh, how does Jose and the boys celebrate winning the league? Is that uh, Well, the Bolton game where we won it, I think we had to go home and just eat and go to bed because we had Liverpool in a couple of days in the semi-final. Um, actually, the one bit that stands out in my mind that day, uh, we won the league. We went back and we were eating. I remember Barcelona played that night. Somebody might tell me wrong, but it was Messi's debut. And we were all just around the screen I think he lobbed the keeper yeah. disallowed and then he lobbed him again and we were all looking and go who's this fucking freak like so the day we won the league was the day I think Messi made his debut where everyone sat up and went this guy's amazing uh, but celebrate not that week but definitely in the coming weeks I said because the lads the lads like the party would Tozzi take you to Tozzi join into would he take you to a nice place uh, he'd be more, you know, bring you for a meal and glass of wine. He'd shoot off. He wouldn't be down in China Whites bouncing on tables or anything like that. <laughs> uh, retained the title again in your second season uh, and then decided to leave at the end of it. Why? Uh, just, I guess, wanting to play every minute, every game. I'd few, again, a few injuries, problems, shock on the run-in. I didn't play a lot in the run-in. I played a lot in the first half of the, the season. And I think it was November, we were playing Champions League. I trained at the bridge and we'd done a warm down. I don't know why to this day. This, I remember this where it all started. And I was just so excited, just a kid at heart, really. I thought, this is great. You go, okay, boom, in, get a shower. So I'd warm down, stretching out. I just decided to sprint in. I remember sprinting in. I don't know fucking why. And I felt my Achilles. I was like, oh my days. So I struggled with that for the, uh, the rest of the season. So second half, last third, didn't play a lot. And had a few run-ins with Jose. He was like, what's wrong with you about me not playing well? What's wrong? I just couldn't get any form back. And at the end of the season, I was just like, I'm out here. Just stubborn head of me. I'm gone. I'm going to go play somewhere else. I remember they offered me a new contract. So, like, it wasn't if Chelsea asked me to leave. I had a new deal on the table. And he goes, uh, the day I went, to, before I went to Newcastle, he goes, you know, Duffer, if, you, if you, you're fit and you're playing well, you play my team. I says, oh, listen, great gaffer. But, Again, me being stubborn, I was just listening, I'm out here, I'm gone. I'm probably not backing myself as well. I think that year they signed Shevchenko and Balak. And I just thought, I convinced myself they were going to play a diamond because he had dropped by Shevchenko. I just thought they have to play. Yeah. Uh, he won with Porto, the Champions League with a diamond. So I just thought, I'm out the door here, especially the way the season finished. So I just thought, I'll go to Newcastle, big club, good friends up there. I just thought I'll get back to being a flying winger again. Yeah, which, and I you absolutely, which I absolutely did. <laughs> <laughs> and you also killed Shevchenko's career, mate, because he ended up getting shoved into the left, didn't he? Having a shocker. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. I think his legs had gone by then. You know, people say your legs go at 30, 31. Like, I lost a, a yard at 27 ish. And that would have been Shevchenko's age. Like, you play so much football so young. Like, it's, it's not 30, 31. You definitely lose a yard earlier on. So, Shevchenko, uh, yeah, listen, he didn't have the greatest times there either, did he? No. 
Uh, you said you had pals, friends up at Newcastle. Who was that? Sheila? My pal? Yeah. Oh, friends, no. Uh, no, just the Irish boys and Scott right. McKee. So, Carsey, Stephen Carr, Shay Given, uh, Scott Parker. We would have had a good, proper laugh up there. Um, even though I was having an absolute tired time. I couldn't leave the house up there. I used to get abused. Like, Did you? couldn't walk down the street. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't change it for the world. It's character building, like, but yeah, I've, I couldn't walk down the street. Um, remember, I don't know why, it must have been something with Wagamamas. It happened twice, two different geezers walking down to Wagamamas, once on my own, once with my cousin. This geezer just started following me, just screaming his head off, just going, Duff, you fucking shit, man. Just a whole end. Like, Jesus. So I walk into Wagamamas thinking, oh, he's gone now. And I sat down. Next minute, he's at the top of the restaurant, just screaming, Duff, you fucking shit, man. I'm just like, Jesus. Restaurant's full. I'm like, this is the most mortifying thing ever. So when it happened the second time in Wagamamas again with a different guy following me down the street, following me into the restaurant, uh, and doing the same thing, I was like, you have to get out here, mate. Fuck this club ain't for you. Um, yeah, but yeah. With Chelsea, mate, you're in London, mate. everyone's, they've got their own things going on, but Newcastle's so intense, isn't it? Oh, yeah, listen, when it's going well, amazing place and, and what have you, and they live for the football, they love the passion and all, but listen, I didn't play particularly well up there for three years, a lot of injury problems, and uh, yeah, I... Like I said, I just hid in my house for three years because I just got slaughtered everywhere I went. <laughs> Mate, you went for Jose Mourinho to Glen Road, and I suppose it's like going for a match of the day to day in this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> could you tell, was that, was that a massive difference? Uh, uh, listen, Glen's a, a nice guy. He's just a massive in just standards and everything around the place. You just felt, even as a group of players, they're just like, they don't have these don't give a fuck like and Newcastle pays good wages and there were some big names up there but like like I said half of them didn't give a damn about the team and uh, that kind of broke my heart a bit you know I get slaughtered for not giving you know a shit when I was up there I couldn't have worked any harder but the, the harder I worked the worse I seemed to get but yeah it was just a, it wasn't a particularly nice change room at, at any point really it was it wasn't a great place how, how early in your Newcastle career could you tell it wasn't going to work? Um, oh, well, it probably wasn't too far in. Probably if I passed the ball backwards and I started getting booed, I was like, oh, start. Uh, listen, Newcastle fans, they probably saw me sign. They think this man's going to be maybe electric. And every time he gets the ball, he's, you know, going to dribble and take on two, three, four, whereas maybe my game was evolved and getting worse, call it what you want, but I'd lost that yard and I was kind of maybe figuring out how to change my game and that's probably where Fulham benefited. But like I said, I was never really in top form when I was up there and it probably wasn't long into the, after a couple of months, I was thinking, they ain't having me here. Uh, and then obviously got a bad injury and that was it. What was the divide in the change room? Was it like the British boys and the foreign boys I had? No, nothing like that. Just a mentality. It was just like not really caring too much on good wages. Come in, train, uh, whatever. Losing a Saturday, they don't care. And I'll head off home. Uh, would you pull boys up for that? Definitely. Uh, I wouldn't be. Wouldn't ever have been a proper vocal one. I just always try to lead by my actions. I guess when I was a player, obviously I have to be vocal now as a coach. But as a player, I just I guess 
I used to try and lead by my actions, but I probably wasn't great at leading when I'm having an absolute feast myself. Um, so I probably wasn't a great help. Right, mate, another couple of managers, Sam Allardyce, Kevin Keegan. Uh, you think if anyone could pick Newcastle, it would be Kevin Keegan, but was there just so much going on behind the scenes that it was hard for him? Well, Kevin, when he first came in, actually got the team playing amazingly well. I think he came in the last 10 games of the season. My first year, second year, I don't know, I had so many of them. And uh, I think he won eight out of 10 games or something. He was playing a diamond. Uh, I wasn't in great form, so I didn't play too much either. And then I think it was the second season where he's, he's obviously wanting to build a team and what have you. And listen, people have their issues with Mike Ashley up there over the years. A lot of people had their run-ins. And I think Kevin just had a run-in with him. But, you know, inspirational guy and very motivational. And, um, but he just wasn't allowed, I guess, build a team. And that's why he just thought, I'm out here. I'm done. And uh, last question on this season. Uh, how much does Sam Allardyce eat at lunch? <laughs> um, I'd imagine a lot. But that's just from an outsider looking in. Because I, I think he was there six months. But I didn't play. I, I think I played one game for him. I got him the sack, wigging away. Uh, now I was injured for the first six months. And literally his last game, I think, was wigging. And uh, I played, and I think I played an hour. Again, not too not too well and I think he got the sack a couple of days later so but yeah I'd say he's a, a good appetite uh, and Joey Barton was there what was he like as a teammate lively a lively but again I wouldn't have spent an awful lot of time with Joe or, or played an awful lot of time with Joey you know he was probably in jail or suspended and I was probably <laughs> and I was probably injured so or hiding under the covers hiding under the covers in your house yeah, or hiding under the covers. So um, we didn't spend too much time. But listen, it's good to see Joey uh, going out now and, and being a manager. I'm pleased to see that. Um, you know, good luck to him. Yeah. Right, mate. Relegation season. How much a mess was it? Four managers, Keegan, Hutton, Kinnear uh, and Shearer. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was carnage. Um, <laughs> I think I ended up playing the last couple of months at left back. Um, which listen was no problem. I was would have played anywhere, but yeah, it was just so much chopping and changing and squad and again Wait, mentality. Sorry, sorry not, who the fuck played your left back? Uh, Shearer did, but again, trust me, I was all right left back. I was good. I wasn't given much going forward as a winger at the time, so it was probably a wise decision. Um, so I didn't mind, but uh, yeah, it was just a, a poor mentality throughout the club for. For three years that I was there, Alan obviously came in. I think the last eight games. I think if Alan surrounded himself with with good people and good coaches, and I thought he would have had a, a proper crack at a managerial career because he had such, you know, hold in a dressing room as you can imagine, especially at Newcastle, and and just the presence about him. I was thinking, yeah, you could be proper here, but he's just decided to not go down that route. Uh, just on Kenny, how old school are we talking with Joe Kenny? Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, hey, listen, he was a good guy, uh, Joe, but, you know, you talk about Trap getting uh, names wrong, like you used to call Charles Insomnia, Charles Insomnia, so, you know, if a manager's calling your player that, you'd think, we could be in trouble here. Amazing, man. Uh, a lot was made, obviously, Owen and Shearer's comments about each other. Did you ever see a lack of commitment to Owen? Um, yeah, listen, Mo, again, a good guy, and 
amazing when he was before his real injury player uh, problems. Like ridiculous talent. But I just think when he was at Newcastle with me, he just couldn't take his body couldn't take the load of being a footballer really anymore. So I know I think something said recently about some injury before the Villa game when he got relegated. Again, I can't really remember or recall that. It might have been a private conversation. I don't know. I was just obsessed with my own performance and what have you. But Mo's body in the end just couldn't take the rigours of day in, day out football. So um, at Newcastle again, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have worked out for him either. Yeah. And you know, I think it was aimed at him a lot. I think if you if you uh, play somewhere, you should live there. <laughs> like he was down in Wales an awful lot with the chopper. But uh, mind you, I benefited a few times. He'd head down to Wales. I'd jump in with him and head across the water and drop me in my man dad's back garden. So you'd be 12 o'clock, finish training in Newcastle and be having a cup of tea with my man two hours later. So I did benefit from the chopper. No way. He would drop you in Ireland before going to Wales? No, he got Wales first. Um, but he's, listen, Mo, that's what I'm saying. He spent an awful lot of time down there. Um, uh, so it's the chopper thing, no problem. I, I jumped on board as well a few times. When you said you got on Michael Owen's chopper then, I thought it was going to be a different kind of story. <laughs> <laughs> right, mate, I need to speak about it. I know you'll know what to do, but does this sum your Newcastle career up? Relegated on the day of Valor, you score an OG. Like, why are you even in a position to score an OG? Playing left back. Uh, rest my case. I rest my case. Yeah, that was horrific. But like I said, the... The Blackburn one, because pro- my club was where I grew up, only three relegations, that's probably one where it hit me the worst. But Newcastle went down because they deserved to go down. And for me, it was probably a chance to press the reset button and come up again. But it's not, I'm not sure how much has changed at that club. Um, so I'm a big believer in kind of positive mindset and what you you know think and you kind of become. And I was just always, I ended up, but couldn't help it, always in a negative you know, mindset up there, this is fucking crap, this is this, this is that. So it kind of doesn't shock me that I scored an OG to send Newcastle down because that's where my head was at. I worked my absolute socks off, but I was just so negative about everything in my own head that it didn't really surprise me. I was like, this was just meant to be me. What hurts more in football? The relegations are Thierry Henry handballing it against Ireland. Uh, the Irish, the handball, um, without doubt, you know, that's... You can play for as many teams as you want in your career. and Like even Celtic, that would have been amazing working there. But playing for your country, nothing gets any better. Um, so that definitely, um, I haven't cried on a football pitch. Well, obviously, when I pulled me hammy just before the, the Liverpool game, but on a you know competitive game, I think it's the only time I cried in my life. It felt like a, a death in the family at the time because um, it was the World Cup. But listen, again... We should have went through and could have went through. I think it was one all because we were obviously scored. We had an away goal, gave an away goal. I had a chance of one on one, which would have took it to two one, uh, which would mean they'd need two. So, uh, as much as the handball and all, uh, I think people forget that maybe I had a good chance to put us through as well. Goalkeeper saved it. So, just as well he handballed it then, eh? Yeah, it took the sting <laughs> off me, to be fair. <laughs> Give me a favour. Did any of the boys ever say anything on me after? No, like I remember he sat down beside Big Dunny. Dunny wouldn't give much away, like, um, and that was more afterwards when you see the pictures the next day. He's kind of sitting down beside Big Richie and trying to plumage and what have you, which was a bit. Listen, I've said it before. If I did or if it hit off my hand and we scored, I'd have, like I'd have done the exact same thing. So, absolutely, good luck to him because 
I would have done it. I'm sure all the rest of the lads would have done it. It's dog eat dog out there. So uh, I'd have handled it and crossed it in for, for Robbie to score. Absolutely without doubt. Right, last week, we're nearly done, just up to Fulham. Uh, when you signed for Fulham, did you ever imagine that you'd get to the 2010 Europa League final? And then, so we're beating Juventus as well along the way. No, uh, that probably ties in with the Inter-Total Cup, like the amount of games you play. Uh, but yeah, along the way, I think it was Shakhtar, the game I ran to. Uh, Juve, like they Cannavaro, Del Piero, Buffon, like ridiculous. I think they were, I don't know, 4-1 up on aggregate or something. Uh, and we needed four goals and we had an error to do it. So like, you know, that's Hollywood stuff dreams are made of. Um, but we were a slick team, just really efficient, good, honest pros, good players, but just really, really well drilled from from Roy. Uh, we all just knew our roles inside out. So it was, and when you look back, it wasn't really a shock because we know, knew what a good outfit we were. Is, uh, is it true Roy Hodgson does shit every day? Every day, yeah. Every day. Do you not mind that? Uh, I used to love it because I'm good at, I guess, driving it myself. Like he'd do, Gaffer would do shape 11 players or 10 players attacking a goalkeeper. He might bring in a couple of defenders then and what have you. But like we knew our roles and our movements absolutely inside. But yeah, that's all we did every day. And like a few lads would hate it. But you know, the grass isn't always green. I remember Roy left and other managers came in after. And I remember like the likes of Bobby who or Danny Murphy or ever, they'd always be moaning about oh, fucking shape again, this, that, fucking hell. When Roy was gone and after six months a year, they were always then asking, I wish we'd Roy back. And that's football for you, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the opposite side. So they all missed him because they knew oh, how good he was. I know exactly who you're talking about. Come on, give us one feel of Felix McGatt story. Felix McGatt? Uh... Well, the two of the boys, uh, Sasha Reiter and I can't remember the other boy's name, played with him at Wolfsburg. So they did a pre-season with him and they uh, they went on a country run, a fire, like whatever, five, ten miles, and he made them run through a car wash. Um, that's one. Another, they come back against Bayern Munich. I think they got spanked whatever. He brought them out train at one o'clock in the morning in the dark. They had shape or a game or something like that. Uh, at Fulham when I was there again in a way I would have liked to experience him but like, he loved me for some reason probably because I wasn't playing but he was just desperate for me to get back fit I had a bad knee injury but I remember he locked the lads in the in the, uh, in the the room one day after they got beat and he just made them watch the game and he just left just locked the door and there you go watch your game back uh, like mad so Fred Hangeland's got um a groin strain and Breda was a top pro like amazing player big personality captain and obviously desperate to get him back on the pitch and Felix made him go get and insisted this had to go on him uh, guark cheese I think it's a bit like feta or something and he had to like put it on his groin and then get like vodka and that's the so a wrap with vodka guark cheese and then wrap it up so Breda was doing this for a couple of days and in the end his missus was like you're not allowed to the house here mate because he absolutely stank and it was like seeping through onto his jeans and leaving the stank. So he was making wrap cheese around his legs. So it was like fucking not normal stuff. Um, How has he done so well, man? Like that? People are scared of him. Like, How's he scared? It, like I didn't see it because he was relatively calm when he was with us. But like like I said, the stories, um, the, lads, the two lads, Sasha and the other boy, were scared when he got announced and he was coming in like in two, three days, like 
Sasha was shitting himself. Was Literally. He yeah. So I didn't see that side of him, side of him why you'd be scared. But seeing me was a mental job, yeah. Amazing. Uh, like last wee bit on Fulham, but got to, as I say, the Europa League final up against Atletico Madrid, Aguero, Forlan, Reyes, Samal. Uh, How do you look back on that game? Were they tremendous at her? Uh, yeah, we didn't. I don't think we played particularly well. Uh, I remember I pulled Shaka. You got injured again. I remember I pulled me calf <laughs> a week beforehand, seven days beforehand, and I remember I spent the week in the oxygen tank thinking I'm getting fit for this. So I, I think I trained for a half an hour before the the night before at the ground, but like didn't even train that hard. So it's kind of the first time I realised that you know if you want to be in good condition for a match day, you actually have to train because I was dragging a caravan like heavy touches. Oh, like awful stuff. I was embarrassed. I'd be embarrassed by that a bit. Some of the stuff I did in that game, like it was nothing to do with the the final. I was thinking, yeah, absolutely no problem. Final, looking forward to it, but just felt terrific. Played so bad. Uh, so us as a team, I wouldn't say we really delivered. But then, yeah, when you look through the the names, big big names, aren't they? But they only nicked the goal, I think, in the last minute, extra time. So, yeah. and needless to say, being an Irishman, you. If you celebrate and you get drunk, if you're drowning in sorrows, you get drunk. So I went out in Hamburg that night and got smashed. Who were? All the boys? No, I think we drank in the hotel at till three or four in the morning. And I decided to go out then at three, four in the morning, not to a stand-up comedy club. <laughs> uh, just bars and just in my tracksuit, just with one of the analysts. What a life. You, have, what you, have, a life. To, you have to drown your sorrows. Of course you do, mate. Right, we'll jump forward to say it. I was under this. How did you see the Celtic job come up? What is it like? A, a website or something? Or did somebody contact you when you're a coach? Uh, yeah, no, job seekers or something. <laughs> no, I um, I think a few people, I just got a few calls just going, Celtic would like to talk to you about the reserve team rolling on. I was like, what do they want me for? And I had a couple of these over a month and then it was kind of more concrete. There was like, Peter Lawwell wants to speak to you. So I rang Peter and... Uh, then obviously spoke to Chris McCart and kind of just got out of hand then because I was just planning on living in Ireland. He goes, would you want to come over? I thought the job was mine, being a bit stupid. So Chris was like, yeah, come over. And I was thinking, okay, come over and have a look around the place and you know, see if you want the job. But then he rings me back an hour late and goes, right, the interview will start at two o'clock. You have to do a presentation, then a practical on the pitch and all. And I was thinking, oh, it's actually not your job. <laughs> so I thought, okay, well, kind of the ego then took over. I was like, well, right, I'm going to go and, and get this job now, get offered it anyway, and if anything, it would be good experience. So I went over and I'm like the most nerve-wracking out of the comfort zone stuff I've ever done, you know, present a general chat for an hour and then presenting to Brendan Rodgers and John Kennedy and all the staff. You know, I played three box three here with my 15-year-old, so I was presenting to Brendan how to play three box three, like mortified, like he, he knows better than anyone. And I'm telling him, you know... With he invested three box three, didn't he? he yeah, I, yeah. And I've got me footage and I'm like, you know, if he goes there, he should go here. And I'm just thinking, just shut up, man. And then I had to go out on the pitch like for 40 minutes with the with the reserves who were like a miserable group. They're at an age where they're like, I'm not in the first team and I'm getting dragged in here four o'clock in the afternoon to get coached by this Muppet from Ireland. So like, it was just the hardest thing I've ever done, without doubt. And uh, but listen, fortunately, I got offered the job. Is that, see, when you said that, is that more nerve-wracking than playing like a Europa final? Ah, without doubt. Like, football was just natural to me. So, yeah, you get the butterflies, a bit of tension, but, like, goods. Whereas this, I was just absolutely rattled. Uh, like, I couldn't take my blazer off in the, the 
big sweat patches there, I'd imagine. It was just soaked wet through. Uh, ah, rattled. Disgusting. Yeah, and you said that like, you took the reserve team at first and you said they're a miserable group. Did you find it frustrating taking boys at that age? Uh, no, like the quality is obviously there, but they're 18, 19 years of age and it's a difficult one. They probably think they should be over the road with the first team, but they haven't done it yet. So then there's maybe a bit of attitude seeps in and maybe a lack of hunger or enthusiasm. Well, that's not Celtic boys. I think that's that age in general. Uh, just that drive. But I think, listen, that's across the board in football now. 18, 19-year-olds in football that have made the first team that have been given good contracts and they're playing at big clubs and they think they're someone they're not. I hate saying it, but it's the God's honest truth. Yeah. So, uh, listen, even when I went in with them, I, I, thought, I told them. I said, you're the most miserable group. I think it was Air Away. What's the one up beside that fishing village? Uh, our boat is at Air. It was a lot. <laughs> yeah, I remember telling them that day. I was like, "Lads, you're the most miserable set of lads I've ever come across in my life." But listen, we after the six, eight weeks that I was there with them, we did build, a, I think, a nice bond, and they knew more about me, and I understand them a bit more. But I would have loved them to work along with them in a way, just to see, I guess, what you can get out of them. See, just on obviously, you moved over to Ireland. That how much did it help that your son Daryl Horgan was over playing for Hibs as well? <laughs> my twin, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's been uh, aimed at me a few times. By the way, you never, got his, you never got his dad's touch. He took his mum's touch, Aang. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure whether I'm the ugly version of Daryl or, or what, but uh, yeah, he's a good-looking lad. Um, yeah, don't worry. The lads give me plenty about that. I know, I know. Plenty. Uh, see, when Brendan Rodgers left, did you think there's a chance when Lenny came in, did you think there's a chance of me when Chris Davis goes, obviously, did you, did you ever think? They could ask me to go and do the first team. Not one bit. I honestly, to God's like I know, probably a normal coach would have done that thing, or they lane for it or ask for the job. Right, and I didn't bat an eyelid. I was just pottering along doing my job. I think I was playing Killy that day away on the Astro, uh, and just had got a phone call after the game from John Kennedy. So Ga- I don't think Gaffer was even announced yet. So listen, I love the Gaffer. To bits, I love Jay to bits, but it was Jay, I think, in effect, I could be wrong, that brought me into the, the first team setup because Neil wasn't uh, announced. Obviously, John stayed and he rang me after the game. He goes, Will you come in with us? Um, so, listen, absolutely again, similar to my interview, uh, rattled out of the comfort zone. I was like, Fucking, didn't tell him, they're like, I'm not ready for this, but you can't turn it down. Like, so you just have to go and learn on your feet, don't you? So, did you know, obviously, did you said you. Did I know who? Lenny. Uh, no, I met him about 15 years ago or something. I met him down the West End. I think I had a game of golf with him the next day. Lamps uh, down in Loch Lomond or something. So I'd had a night out with him, but I don't know what I'd said to him. So I could have abused him at I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, I had a game of golf with him as well, but listen, I was drunk on that as well. And apologies, I'm sounding like I'm drunk all the time. I actually wasn't. I was a good pro. <laughs> no, I've heard that. I've heard that. Uh, how did you find that going and taking a first team session for the first time? Ah, listen, just just rattled. You know, I, I feel like I'm learning the game all over again now. You you do your own thing as a player and you're so focused and all, but you're just, you know, a different viewpoint now. And even, I remember my first coaching license, you know, I got given a session on wingers and I th- like to think I'm able to play as a winger when I'm 
you know, plays and understand the role and all. But I couldn't coach him. I couldn't tell the winger where to run, how to run, when to run. I was the worst coach on my B license. So I just realised then you need to, you know, take a step back and just kind of dissect the game. And that's what I, I guess, do daily. So as a half-decent player, I did okay. But I just feel like I'm learning it all over again. So when you go in with the first team, listen, I think it helps that I played. You know, you get a bit of respect with the lads. I ended up building an amazing bond with them. They were amazing with me and I had great fun with them. I like to think it was fair and when needed to be, but uh had the crack with them. But yeah, when it comes down to, you know, the sessions and what have you, I was always conscious of again being a young coach. I didn't want to say something stupid. Yeah. And then go, who's this guy? So I'd always kind of overanalyze and probably end up not saying nothing at all, if you know what I mean. Because I was just really conscious of, you know. Especially when you're working beside John, listen, Gaffer takes a step back and manages match day, whereas John Kennedy and, and Woodsy, obviously Woodsy with a goalkeeper, but John Kennedy's without doubt one of the best coaches in the world. How bad he's going? Yeah. I sound like his agent now, but <laughs> I don't think clubs outside realise how good he is because absolutely frightening. The best I've worked with. Can I, can I just ask, what make, why is he so good? So what makes him such a good coach? Uh, again, it comes down to you know your detail. His detail is second to none. Like, I haven't seen detail like it. And obviously, dissecting what you see, like, some coaches can be like Ray Charles looking at a game, but actually not seeing what's going on in the game, whereas John doesn't miss a trick. What's the problem? How are we going to fix it? Absolutely frightening. And uh, like I said, they'd be lost without him and the gaffer. The gaffer's the best manager around up there. So lucky to have him. And like I said, John as well. Um, obviously, because I work a lot with John and spent a lot of time late into the night watching games and, and stuff. So I guess I would have built a nice bond with him as well. But listen, I sound like his agents, the clubs are going to be chasing now, but he's, like I said, he's top class. Brilliant. Uh, see that, just on that first game at Tynecastle, was that, did you get that wee buzz back that you maybe had as a player that you hadn't had for so many years? Kind of, but like when I was with the 15s or even the, the resis, like Celtic resis, like every game to me was like a, a cup final. So I was always kind of up for it. But yeah, having that crowd back and, Listen, there's, I don't think there's many better feelings in life than last-minute winners. And on that run-in, I think we had about three or four of them, like mad stuff. Uh, I think I straddled John Dundee away. I think we scored in the 95th minute. Tynecastle that first night, I think I nearly knocked Johnny Hayes out. So I do get a bit carried away. So that was a nice experience. I won't lie to you, just lastminute.com doesn't get any better. So you're the man responsible for giving Johnny Hayes that red nose? I think he's had that since he was looking. I don't know what, but yeah, I listen, Johnny said the same go, great guy. Yeah, he got a little uh, sucker punch that night. Mate, and what a special time to be at the club with the history being achieved as well. Like, do you feel honoured to be part of that? It's like, I can't say I offered much. All I'd say is I assisted, I filled the role. You know, Gaffer was there, amazing. Jay, amazing. And the players, listen, they're the best squad in Scotland, aren't they? World class players. Um, so, but to be in the dressing room and going to games and you know meetings and what have you, yeah, absolutely. Uh, getting the eight and the nine, a lot of pressure on them. Uh, I probably felt more pressure on the run in with the eight. I don't know what was there eight games to go, was there? I probably more, felt more pressure. Then I was thinking you could be part of the biggest capitulation known to man here. Um, so that kind of worried me a bit. Whereas nine, you get the full season at it, you can kind of relax. So yeah, still pressurised, but I have to say, like, I had such a great laugh the whole 18 months, two years with them. You know, I know 
everyone thinks we, we did work hard, but like great, great fun it was. Yeah. And see, just finally on that, who impressed you players wise? You said top players there. Who, who, who was maybe give us two or three that really impressed you? Uh, I would have loved to see KT in his pump fit, but like I didn't see that. The eight games I was there, he was injured. Uh, like working through the team, I think Fring Pong got player of the year, like amazing character, amazing just the impact he had for such a young boy. Fraser coming in, saying no more about the big man. Yeah. Uh, Azure is a Rolls Royce, absolutely loving for pieces. Uh, McGregor's world class, I tell him this all the time, he could play in Barcelona. Uh, absolutely taking information, just again, the king of just simplicity and making the right decisions, world class. Brownie's been world class for years. Jimmy on the right, his stats, like his stats are absolutely ridiculous. Far side, Mikey. Like if Mikey stays fit, my God, what a winger you have there. And then up top, Hodson. Again, what a class act. And like even even the Griffalo, you know, he doesn't probably look the, the fittest at times, but he's possibly the best finisher I've ever seen. That slap, you know, everyone coaches side foot, side foot, side foot finish. He just slaps it with his laces and yeah. absolutely ridiculous. So... And the lads I haven't mentioned, like, just ridiculous amount of quality in the squad. Brilliant. Uh, right, mate, two Prem titles, 100 international caps, World Cups, Euros, European finals, worked for Celtic. How do you look back on it all? Tremendous. Uh, yeah, it was a bit of crack. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to say. I might want to just sit at home, you know, reminiscing. Uh, Football is all I know. I'm institutionalised. You know, when I retired for six months, a year is probably a bit scary because you miss the 24-7 focus. And you can see why footballers, you know, get into into problems. So going back to Celtic again, give me that focus, the 24-7. It's amazing. And out of my sporting career, like I've said it in the media recently, it's that would probably be the highlight. I love being a player, but then 18 months with the first team, like, like I said, amazing fun, but just learning everything and just what an experience it was incredible. So I'd have to put Celtic at the top of the list, I'm afraid. Oh, you know you've done well when you're wearing a hublot during the day. Absolutely tremendous, mate. <laughs> I noticed that. I know, that got a bit of stick off the lads. That's me training ground there, uh, watch a little electronic one. They got soft for that as well. Oh, wait, sorry, you wear a hublot training ground? It's the electric one, you know, the chargeable, whatever you call it. Um, but don't worry, that got slaughtered as well. Jay and Brownie and all. So, uh, along with getting my hair cut in the Turkish barber all the time. I think I was just, uh, I was probably good for the squad so they could hammer me for 18 months. So I was probably good for that. Tremendous, <laughs> David. Thanks very much, mate. What a guy. Top man, Simon. All the best. Hero. Cheers. God bless. Get ready for a big weekend of live sport with Sky Sports and Sports Extra, half price for six months. Watch the Champions Cup with Leinster versus Saracens on BT Sports. And all four days of the US Open only on Sky Sports. Absolutely superb. Get Sky Sports and Sports Extra, half price for six months. Search Sky Sports Sale. New sports customers only. Standard pricing applies after six months or of cancelling one element of the bundle. Minimum term and further terms apply. You know that feeling you get when you sense a team's winning streak is about to end? Or when you know the pundits are getting it all wrong? That feeling? That's me. 
I'm your hunch. I was there back in Istanbul when you just knew the comeback was on. I'm the guy that tells you when the odds don't look so odd. I'm your hunch. It's time to start listening. Heed your hunch with Betway. Download the app to find out more about Betway's Bet Club. Full terms apply. 18 plus, Dunlewy.net. Bet the responsible way.